Top two poker podcast. Count it down, creepy cyborg. Three, two, one, zero. You like flopped a royal and got two people shoving <laughs> into you, right? Support your beard grooming products. Top two poker minds. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> that's all we have. If this doesn't work. F F recording software if this doesn't work. Alright. Alright, let's do it, bro. Did you write down the uh the all the jazz in the chat? Okay, cool. Yeah, so I think uh, you know, it's only the twenty first century, <clears throat> only twenty sixteen, and yet we cannot find a way to record basic audio, which was something to think like I mean, at least we're not holding a tape recorder up to our speakers. That's something. E- yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like no one would do that as I slowly put away my phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were considering doing Star Wars transcripts, like scrolling away from us. So this uh, feels I, good. You know, I still go with that. I still think that that would have been a viable option. So, are we recording now? Are you going to yeah, call yeah, me back? Yeah, we're good. I oh, okay. fired it up. Nice. Okay. So, what's uh, what's been going on with you this? Uh, I mean, it's been, what, probably about a month and a half since our last podcast? Yeah, dude. Seems like it's been forever. I guess it was even before my Florida trip, right before my Florida trip, and that was like four weeks ago. So I went down there, played a bunch of tournaments, like $9,000 in buy-ins, and got wrecked. <laughs> no, it wasn't too bad. Like, cash for the smallest tournament I played, lol, for like half of my buy-ins. So I lost like 4500 5K on the trip wasn't too terrible uh but yeah just been back in town on the twitch grind lately that's been really fun i've had like okay. some, some deep runs on some big tournaments on twitch been tons of fun oh nice very nice i know i've been able to uh sweat a couple in the last couple days actually um and you've been playing you've been keeping to a schedule you're playing what like maybe three days a week for those that um, are watching on Twitch. I know you usually fired up Sunday and then sometimes like a Monday, Tuesday, or just. I've been playing more often because they've been running the online super series, which is bigger oh, buying tournaments right. than normal. Typically, I just play like Sunday and then maybe like one other day a week. But on a normal week, there's hardly enough reason to play other days a week when I can go grand the lives. Yeah. But I do enjoy it. So I usually play like twice a week. Very good. Yeah, I know we've. Um, you almost always throw in that Sunday, um, just based on some of the tournament selection they have. Um, yeah, Sunday's definitely the most viable day with all the big buying stuff firing off. I think. Uh, what is it? Tuesday they have the cage. Yeah, normally Wednesdays. I think I'm gonna oh, play that Wednesdays. more often now. Oh, okay. Now that I got a belt. Uh, got yeah, you gotta you gotta uh, defend your title, right? Yeah, totally. So, what's going on with you? Tell me about how's it being engaged. Um, yeah, that's kind of wild, right? Uh, I got engaged. Um, probably, boy, I should absolutely know this, but uh, I think a couple <laughs> weeks ago. You have a um, wedding to memorize this stuff. Yeah, I'm. I'm so terrible with with the dates. Um, and apparently paying attention attention in general. <laughs> but yeah, I just got engaged. Um really excited about that didn't see that coming when it moved out here to california uh it's only been a year and a couple months but um 
Yeah, I feel really good about it. I mean, I'm, I just a little bit apprehensive about you being the best man and having to, <laughs> you know, have, having to par down the beard or shave it off completely, you know, uh, never. Surprise, surprise. I, I do have it figured out, though. So what we're going to do for the bachelor party is we're going to take the top three suggestions from listeners and then, like, amplify them with props and things. So, like, my first idea is, like, giving you a clown suit and making you panhandle your way back to our hotel on the Las Vegas Strip. Very good. Um, <laughs> of, of, cor- of course you would. But, you know, whatever the viewers want. Okay. Okay. Oh, you crazy. Listeners. Yeah, so that's going to happen. I can't. I really can't even believe. Um, set for January, so it's actually not too far away. I mean, it's only a couple of months, so a lot of my time, truthfully, has been um, just locked up, looking at planning venues and color palettes and all sorts of stuff that I didn't think would be as complicated. But hey, you know, it's for a good cause. Yeah. Um, and I've been playing a little bit. I've been playing a lot more uh, Limit. Played a little bit of Big O the other day and uh, uh, just been kind of doing it for relaxation after work, just playing like 816. I might start, if I keep running good, I've had a couple good sessions, jump back up to 2040 again. Um, but yeah, just playing playing casually. I haven't really had enough time to devote to play uh, MTTs online for a bit, so... Uh, it's just nice to go for a couple hours for me and uh, get a session in. But um, with your session in or your tournaments in Florida, do you have any hands for us? Did you record I anything? Did. I wrote down a couple hands. I think one of them is by far more interesting. Um, so I guess let's get right into it. This was from the $5,000 buy-in that I played. Mm. I believe yes five thousand dollar buy-in so you get like um twenty thousand chips i believe and i have punted off half my stack so we're sitting at about <laughs> nine thousand at 100 225 any blinds and so this is still pretty early in the tournament it is this is like probably second or third level okay unfortunately i drew a pretty tough table there weren't many soft spots everyone seemed pretty competent so I mean, it is a 5K, so it's kind of expected, but still, this was probably one of the tougher starting tables that I played the whole trip. So, blinds are 100, 200. A guy in middle position opens for 400. And I look down at the red 9-8 of hearts in the hijack. And uh, I call, and then the cutoff on my immediate left calls and big blind calls. So, we're going four-way to the flop. Four-way or five-way? Four-way to the flop. And the flop is ten of spades, offsuit seven, and then the four of spades. And I have nine eight of hearts, so pretty good flop. We flop an open ender, but the spades obviously kind of hurt our equity. Anyway, it checks to us, a preflop razor checks to us, and we bet nine hundred into eighteen hundred. So just to recap, we have nine eight of hearts, ten seven four with two spades on the flop. And uh, we bet 900 into 1,800 cutoff calls, and we're heads up to the turn. Mm. Now, first of all, what do you think of flop? Uh, I mean, in that spot myself, I'm betting – I'm sizing a little bit little bit larger. I mean, you're sizing, what, half pot? Yeah, um, I actually agree. Like 60 that 65%. 
I agree that my bet sizing, I think with my whole range on a wet board like this, we want to have a little bit bigger of a bet sizing. Then again, uh, you know, it's, it's probably not a big deal. It's like very minor mistake, if any. But yeah, I agree. Bigger sizing probably is more beneficial. Let's talk preflop. I mean, are you ever considering uh, three betting this hand? I mean, I think obviously calling um, and playing a smaller pot in position is is fine. Um, But are there certain player types? um, And did you have very many reads at this point in the tournament on on the on the opener? Yeah, so I had been three betting a little bit with other hands so i opted to flap but i do think three betting is a good option the thing is when he min raises though we are we do get a little bit better incentive to call instead of three bet but i think three betting is totally fine we don't need to three bet all of our suited connectors all the time so it should be some mix between flatting and three betting Um, i don't really have a good answer on what exactly that mix should be okay fair enough let's uh take us to the turn and and what happens yeah So we're heads up to the turn. The cutoff on our left called us. Turn is an offsuit nine. So the turn, we pick up showdown value. The board gets kind of like, I don't know. I don't know how many folds we're getting. A lot of the hands that he peels on the flop, he's not going to fold this turn. And we do beat some of his um, flop peels. So I think checking is way the best option. So anyway, we check and it goes check, check. And then the river, this is where the hand really gets interesting. The river is nine of spades. So it brings in the spades, makes us, makes us trips. And when he checks the turn, he is pretty capped. It's pretty hard for him to have full houses. Because you would think anything two pair or larger on such a wet board, he would be firing on the turn pretty much always. So I'm thinking it's almost impossible for him to have a full house here. So I think we can pretty comfortably value bet. The only tough part is, like, we don't really know what this guy's capable of. But that said, I think we still have to value bet. So we bet 2000 and we have 5700 behind after that 2000 bet. And he asks how much we have and thinks for, like, 30 seconds and ships it in the middle. And Pretty gross. Yeah, we throw up. Always, feel, always feels good on that spot, right? Yeah, but... The thing is, he would have to be doing some exotic bluffing here, I think, for us to really call, because he's just not going to have that many hands that he can turn into bluffs. Like, he's not going to really show up with any pure bluffs here. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense um, that he's going to be checking back and then turning his hand into a pure bluff very often. But at the same time... um, we kind of cap out our range as well when we check back the turn, right? Because we're not – because the board having a, a flush draw from the flop and then starting to straighten out on the turn, I mean, we're betting we're betting all of our two pairs. Um, yeah, our so sets. similarly to how we said that he's capped and really can't have a full house, neither can we because we check turn. Right, so unless he's a really adept hand reader and he's going to turn – I mean, it's hard because he would have to be – turning a hand that he's either floating the flop with or some sort of a misdraw into a pure bluff like on the river. Yeah, uh, and we go really- we're four ways on the flop, so it's really hard for him to float with anything that's not like legit draw, like a flush draw, right. straight draw. 
And I think I ran it through Flopzilla, and he would have to be turning, like, all kinds of pair hands into bluffs, like top pair and a gutter, and stuff that he's probably just pretty content to take a showdown with. So, that being said, we just begrudgingly fold, and we never know what he has, and we're sad. <laughs> yeah, I think that, but this illustrates pretty uh, pretty well the difference between where you're at with your game and my game. Uh, I know just in, instinctively uh, on that type of a river, a lot of times I'm going to be checking at that point, realizing that spades are a lot of his uh, of his range. Um, and I'm probably allowing him to just value town me <laughs> after after hearing your analysis. Right. Yeah, I think if you're checking river, if you're I mean, I assume you're planning to check all right. You can't just check. Yeah. Trips. Yeah. So yeah. you're kind of allowing him to check back all of his hands. Like we said, that want to get to showdown, like top pairs or bottom pair plus gutters or, you know, whatever kind of pocket pair he might appealed with. So you're letting him check back all of his medium strength hands and then value bet all of his strong hands. And like we said, it's hard for him to show up with many bluffs here. You know, it's hard for him to show up with any air balls, so we're really not inducing a bluff when we check. So that's the kind of stuff we have to think about when we're thinking, do I want to value bet here? Do I want to, if I check call, am I inducing from anything? Yeah, can I, can I, can you actually check full trips here? I mean, I don't think so. He can have like, he could conceivably value bet a good top pair like ace 10 here. So checking kind of makes, you know, we're going to make worse decisions and he's going to make better decisions. So those are the kinds of things we got to think about when we're thinking about value betting river versus checking. Yeah, I, I completely agree now that you walked, uh, kind of walked us through the hand. So um, yeah, anything uh, else? No, from the, that was from just the like Florida trip. one of the many hands that I nosedived in the 5k buy-in. Which <laughs> <laughs> I was a little sad about. Yeah. Um, what do we got up next, Chase? Do you want to go through a couple others um, from the Florida trip, or uh, let me see? I emailed them to myself. Okay, I think though that uh, some of your other hand histories had to do with suited connectors, and I think uh, um, playing suited connectors in in a tournament is a lot different than in cash because of the not only just the equity considerations, but just a lot of times you're when you're semi bluffing with hands, you have to be doing a pretty, um, with the awareness that you're also, your tournament life has value as well. So you're not just looking at it from a pure, uh, chip EV standpoint. Am I correct in that? Somewhat. So early in a tournament, it plays much closer to a cash game in that, right. There's right. not a whole lot of benefit of having 10 big blinds versus having zero big blinds, you know, like those, Sure. Or say like ten big blinds versus twenty big blinds. Like those, those big blinds aren't worth a whole lot more than than you know late in the tournament. So late in the tournament, I think you have a lot of incentive to retain chips because cashing is obviously a uh, a possibility there. But yeah, I mean, I there is something to be said for having chips and being able to play pots after this hand. So I I do have one hand where I spewed my brains out <laughs> and uh, this actually happened before the last hand and we don't need to get too in-depth into it because it's clearly just like spewy but so there's 30k starting stacks we just sit down 
the button appears to have lost like 8,000 of his chips, so he's got about 22,000. Seems to be a good player, but we don't really have any reads. So we're on level one, blinds are 75, 150, 25 Annie. Early position opens to 400. And like we were talking about before with having some suited connectors in our three betting range, we get the six, seven of hearts and we go ahead and three bet to 1400 from the hijack. Now the button makes it 4,000 and gives us the old Ushka Ushka cold four bet. Now (laughs) I think this is where I'm spewing because I think for in position, it's pretty reasonable to call with six, seven suited. Like we're going to make good decisions. We have a lot of equity even against his value heavy portions of range. But I think when we're out of position, we're not going to make the best decisions. We're going to let him, you know, take control of like bet sizing on what streets bets go in on and stuff like that. So I think folding preflop here and he also made it a, you know, not a huge sizing, but big enough that I think we should just give more thought to folding. Of course we call though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, wouldn't even be all that interesting if you, if you played it absolutely snug and just folded, right? Yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, you pretty much did this for the listener so that yes. we'd have a hand history to talk about. Correct. Exactly. That, that exactly. was your thinking. Good. This is like those training videos where they're like, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm beat here, but you know, just for the training video, I'm going to call. <laughs> remember watching those like years ago like why don't you just fold thing guy anyway uh we flop really good though so we have six seven hearts flop is eight five three with two diamonds so we flop an open ender we have a low stack to pot ratio so i thought about leading but i think we're a little too short to lead we're just gonna get jammed on too much so we decided to check and this is where i talked to you about this one later the button has sixteen and a half thousand in a stack. The pot is like uh like eighty five hundred or something. And he bets five thousand into eighty five hundred, leaving himself eleven thousand five hundred in his stack. Now, from a seemingly good player, I'm sitting there thinking, why is he betting so big in into this pot if he has like one of his premium hands, like a big pair? And I, I mean, if you ask me, it's just a mistake, like straight up, he should just be betting smaller with his entire C betting range here because he's just giving himself such a bad price to bluff. Like when he has ace king here, there's no reason that he should be betting 5,000. Right. Cause I mean, even if you give him an extremely, extremely, uh, tight four cold four betting range of like ace king suited Queens plus. I mean, he still can save some because at the point at the point he's four betting, that's a lot of big blinds he's saving if he actually sizes smaller on the on the uh, on the flop bet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think we can give him some bluffs in his four betting range, which is another reason why we call. But um, so if you give him like maybe like some random suited aces that he four bets, as well as like you said, ace king queens plus those ace king and all those four bet bluffs, like. Betting 5,000 with those is just wasting chips. You can bet like 3,500 here and get very similar results. Set yourself a much better price to bluff. And when you have those big pairs, 
giving a reasonably good price to your opponent is not a big deal. Like, you have such a uh, low stacked pot ratio. Which kind of gets back to preflop. We should probably just fold if if we're going to have a low stacked pot ratio and seven high. <laughs> <laughs> uh, super spewy. So, all that said, I was like, well, this guy can't have queens plus, and I jam it in, and he snaps with aces. And, and we end up on the river with seven high. <laughs> and we end up with seven high on the river. <laughs> Okay. Oh, Chase. I think it Fair came enough. off like Diamond Diamond, too. So, like, if we had anything at all, we probably would have won. <laughs> <laughs> we just have, like, the seven high, no back doors. Fair enough. Yeah. Anything else fun to, to comment about what happened on your Florida trip? Did you, uh, poker oh related? Oh, related? On the, uh, Miami Beach, like, uh, boardwalk. <laughs> there are so many Pokestops. We like we got stuck in traffic oh, on the boardwalk, and my wife Tara, she was playing Pokemon on my phone, and we were just like creeping along at, like three miles an hour, and we're like, "This is awesome! There's Pokemon everywhere." <laughs> yeah, I think everyone else going to like South Beach and Miami would do fifty other things, but you guys are Pokemoning <laughs> as you go. Fair enough. I saw like a big SUV drive by, and it had like uh, Pokemon tours on the side of it, so people pay for that stuff, man. I got a free ride. Yes, you you people pay for that stuff. Not my cup of tea. Uh, so last time we we talked a little bit that we would be going through some like you you've been saying this year you've been tra- wanting to transition into mixed games. Um, I think to I guess set a let our listeners know what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to get to mixed games. We're going to continue a little bit later. Um, some of the blind play and that we talked about last as a continuation from last podcast. And then we're going to get to, I guess you and I discussed, uh, this last week, some of the ideas for upcoming podcasts. And I think we'll just wrap it at that. Cool. Yes. Let's hit the mix game. So, so tell us all the mixed games you've been playing that you promised us a month and a half ago that you would get into. Uh, I've been playing some seven-card stud, eight or better. But here's the thing. Okay. Mixed games. No one plays mixed games regularly. It's like a couple times a year you'll get an opportunity to play mixed games, and probably big mixed games. So that's where the payoff is. But there's like no immediate payoff for me playing mixed games. So, guys, I'm going to fess up. I played very little seven card stud eight or better. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm actually going to make it to uh, my mixed game prowess that I'm aspiring to. Well, and I think that part of this came from a conversation that at, at commerce, um, where I'm working there regularly is a 200, 400 combo at 300, 600, uh, during LAPC, the largest, uh, poker series we have in spring um the games are 400 800 all the way to like 612 even last time i think we had a 1000 2000 and i think um from talking to some of the regulars that i have a relationship with in that game you know they say that the the fun thing for the live players and for the the people that are just getting in their gambling is it is it almost feels has a sense and a feel to like that home game you played as a kid with your grandma, aunt, uncle, you know, someone in your family where you're just like 
calling out random games with different rules and it and it it never is boring because you're rotating these games um and at commerce they'll play up to like 15 or 20 game mix with games that are a little bit less common like no qualifier badusi badesi raz um and i think there's a bunch of different there's so many different games i think in our mix we have up to like 40 but they break down usually into like shared board based games so like omaha plo hold'em based um to low draw games such as your Badoogies, um, and then stud-based games. And I think that those are the major major divisions of, of games that are spread. Um, and I think that there is, and we've talked about a lot of value of learning those games because there still is some good action. I mean, if you go to Bellagio, usually they're playing some sort of a mixed combo game in Bobby's room and the same thing at Commerce. And yeah. so I think you've been eyeing that as you know, not shoving your, not putting your whole bankroll in play anytime soon, but long term is there being a lot of value uh, to learn that because the game of poker always evolves. I mean, Hold'em um, is relatively new. What, maybe 15, 20 years has it been the most dominant game? Absolutely. We can look at even, here's the thing. If, if we're looking at a long-term approach to poker, you can look at games that have kind of come in and out of style. Like, Stud used to be the game of the day. And then you had, like, Limit Hold'em, which was the first Hold'em variant that really took off. And now Limit Hold'em's not nearly as popular as it used to be. So I don't want to be in a spot where I know a dying game. And that's the only game I know. And I, I have seen a lot of very successful pros that are able to play so many games that they're always in action and they're always in good games. And, uh, I think long, long term uh, for a career move is, it's a clear no brainer. We should be doing this, but it's hard when it doesn't pay off. There's no immediate benefit to it. Yeah. So I think, um, long term, there is a lot of value to it for, for you and for any player. And just to reiterate what you're going through, I mean, there's, we've even, I mean, for our careers, maybe we're what a little bit more than 10 years into playing poker seriously um closer i guess to maybe 12 to 15 but i mean we've seen the transition from poker in a casino mainly being limit hold'em go to actually online which is a different beast in and of itself um and now in the states kind of transition largely back to brick and mortar um with limited offerings online and then pot limit Omaha, you know, I know five, six years popped up all over. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the people that, uh, master that quickest as far as cash games, you know, did really, really well because I remember you going to Vegas and even playing in Seattle and you were talking about how juicy these PLO games and I would sit and sweat or we'd discuss hands afterwards. And it was just clear how clueless some people were in the beginning. Um, because there wasn't as much information out there about these games. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just being on the forefront, being on the cutting edge, being one of the first to master a new game variant. I mean, that's where the money is. You can even set your set your sights on whatever game of choice, even if you've played No Limit Hold'em. Similarly, being on the cutting edge of No Limit Hold'em strategy and the things that the masses are doing and getting ahead of it is... Like we're going to talk about with small blind limping 
It's it's simply an adjustment to what is in fashion. But like you're saying, in a on a macro level, being able to play these new games is hugely profitable in some situations. So I think bottom line is pretty much you didn't do your homework and you got to fast up to do our, yeah. our lessons. So I mean, like ultimately, Guilty. we want to fulfill the obligation when we say we're going to talk about something, but largely. Um, it's something we're going to kind of have to push off until down the road, but you, you'll keep us informed. And I think um, we'll talk about that as it comes. The first game you are, you're looking to get a little bit more familiar with is stud. Am I correct? You're going to be playing some correct. stud. I just online. want to get familiar with stud variants, stud high, stud high low. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm Raz is to me is very easy. Like you board lock people, you know, like I'm sure there's more to it than I know, but Raz seems more straightforward to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's amazing to me, though, how what I'm seeing, how popular a lot of those um, low only games are. Um, Raz is still played a decent amount. And then uh, Triple Draw, Triple Draw, I, we have a lot yeah, of games. Seven. Yeah, at uh, a commerce that are like 300, 600, you know, PLO, uh, Triple Draw, they'll just have PT, Potlam and Omaha, and Triple Draw. And the game Talk about be, two polar games. <laughs> like yeah. The high only massive pot game where you push your draw equities to the limits. And then you have triple draw where it's like, if you don't have a good nine, you're a fish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're played like three to five handed, which make, you know, changes the even more. Cause it's not like it's full ring all the time. So it's, it's really interesting. And then, uh, and I'm hoping as good as you've been running recently that come six months from now, I can, sit and sweat you jump into something huge um but yeah we'll just have to keep the listeners and and the podcast up to up to date as you start to transition and spend some time but you know a lot of that's been a byproduct you know we've talked about uh uh you're having an extremely successful year not only your bracelet ship but um playing online as well on acr and and that's really given you some freedom and some liberties you haven't had before which is um, you know, your attitude and your mindset uh, has shifted a little bit where now you kind of have that luxury, right? When I was before I won my bracelet, before like my year really busted open, like I was having a good year before that. But at the same time, when your bankroll's not huge and you got bills coming every month, you you just got to grind. You got to get the hours. You got to you got to collect your bread and butter like 40, 50 dollars an hour at your two, five or five, ten game. And that's really like one of your forefront decisions. Whereas now I'm like, oh, I've kind of made my money on the year. Let's, let's look at the future. Let's invest in our long-term poker sustainability. Well, and how do you, how do you stay motivated at, at this time? Because I mean, I've known you as a personally for, you know, a decade plus, but, and I think you always find motivation. You're not <laughs> like me who win a couple racks and you're like, oh, okay. We're, we're done for the day. We're done for the week. But uh, how do you find yourself uh, staying motivated when you're, you're having these successful weeks and these successful months? Well, I will say that my motivation does go in and out, like especially when it comes to studying it. I mean, as terrible as it is to say, but like it's easy to get stuck in the Well, I'm having a good week. I'm having a good month. I'm having a good year. Like I can take, you know, I won't study as much this week. So I, I do get caught in that and have to push myself to put in the time and make sure I'm improving. Uh, 
But the fun thing about poker is that there's always something more to it. So lately I've been playing, uh, due to luckily bankroll reasons, I've been able to play some bigger games. So I've been playing like a 1025 No Limit game uh, semi-regularly and like a 75150 Limit Hold'em game, which prior to my bankroll inflating, those games were so big that if I took a shot at it and if I lost, it was like, whew, I almost didn't want to play because of the emotional pressure. Um, and just like what losing $5,000 would have done to me like emotionally and grinding to get that 5k back would take like a month or more. So it has been pretty exciting being able to play all these big games and not sweat the money so much and just be, just be there trying to make my best decisions every time. Nice. Yeah. I know that's quite a, quite a departure from in the past when you were literally sweating it out. Uh, and you're like, oh, I'm going to go play this game. I'm like, are you, how many buy-ins do you have for that game? Like, eh, one, one to two-ish. <laughs> I, okay. I remember, like, when I was younger, I always used to say, when I'm on my case money, I play my best. <laughs> yeah, because you were, pretty much you were always on your case yeah, money. Yeah, because I was always on my case money, that's true. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you're like, you want to take me to lunch today? Um, yeah, that was good times. And bad as well. Um well, let's talk a little bit more. Let's transition out into kind of a continuation of what we were going through last podcast, which is uh, I think we've set this up and, and you're going to lead this discussion, but it's a little bit more relevant to to tournaments. And that's what we're going to go through today as far as blind play. But yeah. it's, a, it's a really important part of the game. I think an issue where a lot of people at an intermediate level make a lot of mistakes Um and there's a lot to be gained by learning how to play uh, and have a really good strategy when it comes to our small blind, our big blind, and how to play and attack the blinds and apply pressure. Uh, do you want, want us want to walk us through a little bit of what you want to go through today? Sure. I want to hit on something that I think kind of ties in. If you listen to our last couple episodes, we talked about defending wide from the big blind. And that is something that when we're talking about being ahead of the game and on the cutting edge, well, it's becoming in fashion and people are realizing, hey, I can defend the big blind wide. If I have queen six suited in the big blind versus like a min raise or a small raise, I'm making a mistake by folding. So that has also uh, changed the way that you play blind versus blind. People know, wow, when this small blind raises and I'm in position for the rest of this hand heads up, there's a very few hands that I should be folding. So some adjustments have been made. For one, a simple adjustment is some people have started opening from the small blind, like when it's folded to them blind versus blind. They've started raising to larger sizings. So like 3x or even I've seen people 4x, good players. And so we see people starting to make these adjustments. Well, another option is that we can be limping from the small blind, which I am a big proponent for just limping our entire range that we continue with. And we're going to do this. We don't need to always do this, but against good regs against people we're going to play a lot with, we, I think should be doing this. And I will also say that if you're, this is going to apply mostly to tournaments or cash games where you're paying time and you're not getting raked on every hand. Like you are familiar with the California rake. You are just like, 
feeding the rake machine if you are limping in the small blind heads up. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty brutal. Yeah, there's a lot of places now that um, have been increasing the rake structure to the point where it's not as viable. Like I know in limit games when I'm saying they're playing like 2040 and someone's like, I don't chop. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, OK, I need to I need to see change away from you because I don't think that they really understand, even if they feel they've got the best of it, how much you need to overcome um, when they're dropping like seven or eight dollars a hand. It's just it's just a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're a cash game player that plays in raked games, take this with a grain of salt. This is mostly going to apply to people that play in either time-based games or tournaments. So when you're in a tournament and you got to put in one unit to win like five or six units, it's, it's pretty hard to fold many hands. So that's where when we limp the small blind, well, we're going to have enough equity pretty much with any hand. The question is, how's the big blind going to react, and how is our hand going to play post-flop? So with your worst hands, you should clearly be folding. You're like your 7-deuce, your 8-3 offsuit, blah, blah, blah. And we also have to think about, is the big blind going to raise? So here I'll bring I'll bring a hand history that I had from a uh, little Twitch session that we were playing. I think we we're at the final table of a 10K guarantee, if I remember correctly. And the player on our left was a good player. And we get dealt, I believe it was the Queen Five of Hearts. Something very similar to that. Queen Five of Hearts or something like that. And we're in the small blind. It's folded to us. And me and the player on my left both have pretty big chip stacks. We're not chip leader, but we're probably in the top of the top four at this final table. And I limp in the small blind. And I'm commentating this on Twitch. I say... You know, I'm going to have a limping range versus this player. I'm going to pretty much always be limping versus this player. He is aggressive, so he is going to raise us from the big blind quite a bit. That's kind of just something we're going to have to live with. So we limp in the small blind with queen six of hearts, and normally this is a hand I'd be limp calling, but here's another wrinkle. When we're at a final table, we get some ICM pressure where it may maybe we should not be playing this hand or... We end up, what we do is we limp and we fold when he raises. And it's like, LOL, I get Twitch trolls berating me in chat like, oh, you have enough equity. Oh, you just just folded. So, you know, there's some interesting wrinkles in tournament play where our ranges may change. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. All right. So there's some adjustments that we can make to good regs by limping. And then we should still be just identifying the players that are just playing too tight from the big blind. There's some guys, even some really tight regs that I identify, and I'm like, this guy is just folding his big blind to a small blind raise like 75% of the time. So when it folds to me in a small blind, I just click raise every time. <laughs> so, and I, like, I, well, and I, and I, mean, I hope I that they're not watching level. me on stream because I'm just crushing these guys for so many blinds. It, it makes you happy down to your soul to be to be a little spewy. Uh, I know that. I know this. <laughs> so it, it's been a nice compliment to your game probably to add these small buying completes because it creates a pivot where you can do a bunch of different things. I mean, it, and I think a lot of it also at your level of development um, goes down to skill level wise against most players. 
you know, you're going to have an advantage playing a flop against them because, you know, your um, ability to to hand read, um, understand board textures, bet sizing, a bunch of different things. I mean, you feel that you can get away from a lot of different situations. Um, you can get value pretty thin. So I think that's another thing where a lot of players are content to play primarily a pre-flop uh, game in tournaments when you're at the like the early to intermediate level. But at these larger buy-in online tournaments, you're at a place where playing a flop is not a scary thing for you. You're more than content and comfortable doing that. I have another benefit that I just thought of, of, of this limping from the small blind. So when we limp from the small blind and the big blind checks, there are so many flops that most players just don't have. Like when the flop comes ace-king-5, we pretty much get to bet and barrel with impunity because a lot of big blinds are going to be unbalanced in what they're raising from the big blind. So they're going to have very few ace-x or good king-x hands that they're going to check back that they wouldn't raise pre-flop. So when these boards come that we can have 100% of our hands because we're limping all of our hands, and they're maybe not balanced in the hands that they're going to be raising from the blind, then we can really pummel people on some of these board textures where we just have a clear range advantage. So our range is somewhat disguised, and theirs is pretty face-up, and they can't... Some of these combos, like, they're never showing up there with ace-king, or they're never showing up there with, like, ace-jack or better. So we can kind of pummel them on certain board textures, which is another advantage of our limpy strategy. Nice. And I know you love to pummel people. So. Oh, my gosh. I love punishing the nits. Hashtag punish the nits. <laughs> so this, it's interesting because you started talking to me probably even before the podcast. We decided to do this three, four months ago. Uh, we would just kind of call and see what was going on, and you give me a little sweat. You've started to use a... I guess a strategy that has similar implications with opens late position in tournaments. Sometimes you're actually like late position limping. You want to walk us through that a little bit? Cause I think it's a somewhat similar concept. I mean, you're not doing it a hundred percent of the time. Um, I think it's a little bit range specific uh, and situation specific, but talk us through that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of a similar thought, but a little bit different concept. So times where I'm employing a limping strategy is a combination of short stacks on my left, like these 10 to 20 big blind stacks that are going to be very, um, pretty likely to shove over an open. We get the extra benefit of not losing extra money when they do shove and not sometimes the hands that they normally would have shoved, they will, they will now just limp behind and we get to play flop. But also this combats, if you have aggressive three betters on your left, this is something that you I think you should consider that a lot of people don't, is how are these aggressive three betters going to react when we start limping? Now, I think a lot of them are going to make loose isolation raises in position against us, which we're going to have to deal with. So, I mean, I haven't fully thought out the strategy in terms of like the decision tree and how this plays out, but... I think the easiest way to balance this is we're just going to limp strong sometimes. So sometimes we're going to get dealt like jacks plus and we're going to limp and they're going to raise and we're going to limp three bet. And very occasionally we're going to get dealt like jack eight suited and we're going to limp and they're going to raise and we're going to three bet bluff. So 
I, uh, I've been using it and I think I've had some good success and it kind of throws some people off and it kind of opens up some opportunities that, you know, we have marginal hands that maybe we're not going to be able to play against a aggressive three betters or some short stacks on our left. But a lot of times, I mean, one of the common, uh, I guess scenarios that you're hoping is that you limp and for, you know, whatever they're dealt or whatever their decision making is, they decide to just fold and then you're heads up with the blinds in position or one blind, maybe the small blind just folds and the blinds a lot of times are not, unless they're dealt something premium, are not going to be, are not going to be raising out of position. Um, So you're just going to take a flop heads up or three way with, you know, three way to the flop, two blinds and you know, your range in this situation, like what's, what's the bottom end of your range. A lot of times when you're using this strategy, cause you're not ever doing this with like air complete. No, air. we're doing this with hands that are going to play okay. well post flop. Yeah. Hands that flop well, but don't have enough equity to like raise and get it in. Yeah. It'd be so like a queen 10 off suit things that you're not like fist. Right. Pumping. Yeah. Like seven, eight suited stuff that, you know, when we have shove stacks on our left, it's not very appealing to open. But, you know, when you add the option of limping, and you're right, a lot of times we do play just like heads up with the big blind or three way with the small blind and the big blind. And especially when like when the blinds are short stacked, they really can't, they don't have many options available to them. When it comes like queen six four, even if they have like four or five offsuit, they don't have many options available. Like, <laughs> You know, it looks pretty bleak when they're like, should I check all here and then have no idea what to do on the turn? So uh, a surprising amount of the time, we just get to make a small C-bet, and when we have air, we take it down. I haven't really fully thought out the strategy, but I've just been kind of implementing it and seeing how it develops, and so far I've been liking it. Good. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I I can see the conceptual value for it. I mean, I think there's certainly... Um, some situations where we still should be we still should be raising a lot. You're not saying that we abandon a late position uh, aggressive stance, but you're saying this is something that you're utilizing when you're noticing based on a hand history or if you're playing a live tournament, you've noticed a propensity for people to just be three betting your opens or you just see stack size wise you're like oh my gosh this is like perfect for them to be three bet jamming on me and you end up with one of these hands where you're like i really would like to to play this hand and play a pot with this hand um but you don't want to take the op- take the chance of raising and then having to just fold out and lose those big blinds yeah i think that's exactly bro right there you got it <laughs> okay um and then I think you know this is when we're talking about the blind play and the limping it reminds me a lot of kind of what I've witnessed with your uh with your bracelet your event number 17 the glory um, run yes yeah yeah when you were playing heads up with uh with Eric um the biology teacher so when I when I was observing Went went to heads up play. I remember you made a a snide little little comment. You're like, oh, <laughs> uh, and you were pretty pretty excited to have this opponent heads up. And I was like, oh, okay. 
And then you just started to try to uh, run over him, and he was using a a station strategy against you that was pretty effective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was using the old strategy of this guy I don't uh, got. Shh, I'm gonna call. And yeah, he was using. The, I didn't have. <laughs> yeah, he was using the optimal uh, optimal strategy against you at the time, which is as you're spewing your brains out in uh, with a bracelet. Um, to the winner, he was just calling you with all pairs, uh, yeah. like the river. And so I remember the first, like maybe we just watched five to seven hands and you just went from, I think a two to one chip lead to you flipped it to where he had a two to one chip lead, I think really quickly. And yeah. I think you guys were playing pretty deep, actually relatively deep, probably like what 40 to 50 big blinds. Yeah. Somewhere uh, around there. Yeah. So you were, you, you had some, uh, play in the tournament and then we went and we chatted on, on break uh, and I, I was just, yeah, a little smoke break and I was just fuming because I could see that you were probably trying to run over a guy that had decided he wasn't going to get run over because he was like, look, this is awesome. Yeah. I'm, I was just not executing my strategy, you know, like when it came down to it, I was just, I was not doing what I knew I needed to do, which was play small pots with this guy. Right. And, and the other thing that you said, which I thought was odd is, is I thought you were making your decisions a little bit too quickly and you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm trying, you said you were trying to play a really fast, fast game because you thought it would get him out of, you, you thought he would be making fast decisions and that would be to your advantage, which to me, it looked the complete opposite. It looked like this guy was like having the time of his life. He's winning pot or pots. He like could barely stack the previous chips before you were like spewing into him again. <laughs> And uh, and it was com- like everything was a complete mess. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is it's still going to be good. You're going to get second place in a World Series event, but it's going to haunt you. Um, and we talked about it for a couple minutes and you slowed it down. But that's when you also started. And I mean, heads up, it is a little bit of a different wrinkle. But you started just completing from uh, the button quite a bit. And it seemed that that was one of the things that helped turn it for you. Um, because you're able to play a lot of pots that were smaller against a guy where, you know, you're able to play a lot better post flop, I think in general. Definitely. Here's a cool thing too, about doing non-standard stuff, like limping the button heads up, which is not as non-standard anymore, but like we were talking about limping late position or limping small blind is you see people see you do this stuff and then they're like, huh? You know, I think I'll do that. And it was funny because we noticed that after I started limping on the button, well, Eric started limping on the button. And I'm like, oh, man, this guy's playing right into my hand. You know, like we get to play small pots on my button and his button. Beautiful. So I think that's another like hidden little gem in there is when you do these kind of funky plays, people might start thinking, well, I can try that. And when they don't really have a thought process behind it. I think it can lead to them making even more mistakes. Yeah, and at that time, I mean, he could have applied a lot more pressure. And, and the value for him for uh, raising is, especially being uh, an amateur and not quite as experienced, is it makes your stack-to-pot ratio uh, and makes your decisions much more threatening where you know, you're know you only a couple steps away from putting your, your whole tournament on the line. But then when, he al- when he's allowing you to play these smallish pots – you know, you're able to extend the tournament quite a bit and give yourself more life, which especially when you crippled yourself, um, 
by reverting back to your spew monster ways, <laughs> um, you know, it just allowed you to sustain yourself until you got into a couple key situations uh, and allowed you to end up with the hardware. Yeah, bud. Yeah, that was that was a fun time. I'm glad you were there to talk me out of spewing my brains out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, someone had someone had to pull you off that and sharing the victory. Yeah. Speaking of which, I got to get a victory photo and actually get it printed through that bad yeah, bag in my yeah, office. Yeah, you should do that. Um, and replace your all of your Pokemon, Star Wars, other nerdtastic stuff that you have laying around your office. <laughs> my lightsaber? Oh, my lightsaber has made some stream debuts lately. That's been fun. Oh, gosh. Yep. Yes, it has. <laughs> I don't think you saw it. <laughs> No, I did. When you uh when you gave um another streamer Oh, when I um, gave the mod the the power. Yeah, I gave you, her the lightsaber. You pay for sword. My shoes. No, yeah. there's an even better one. I was coming back from break. This was like last week. And I was coming back from break and I was like, Oh, I'm gonna screw around with the lightsaber and I was doing like a Star Wars theme stream just to like, you know, for some lols. And I was coming back from break and I was like, Okay, I'm gonna do a skit like I'm fighting with Darth Vader. <laughs> and I come back from break and I, I look to my left and I'm like, oh my gosh, did you guys hear that? What was that? And I get out my lightsaber and start like dueling Darth Vader and then he choked me out with his force hand. It was epic. Uh, I apologize to all one <laughs> all one listener we have left. Oh it reminds gosh, me of funny. It was the the first like viral vi- video ever like on the internet where was this there was this hefty oh, the child fat kid light, she'll lightsaber. Say, Oh yeah, do you remember that? Yeah, the hefty child who did like the the impromptu lightsaber battle against himself, and I think was he was making his own like noises. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That is you. uh, Ten years in the future, you are you are the young child that has grown into the slightly not as young child with a beard. Um, (laughs) And you know, as I've aged, I've learned this is who I am. I'm a big dark, and I'm okay with it. Bring it on, world. I'll battle you with my Pokemon and my magic and my potions if you try to come at me. I think you you and Terra, as much as I care about you guys, might be the last two humans on Earth that actively play that game. Like, everyone played it for a week, and then they were showing statistical data of how many people just, like, figured out what they were actually doing. And it's like, eh, I'm done with it. Really? Did it drop off a lot? Uh, in all seriousness, yeah. I remember seeing that they had a statistical data company. But... I mean, that was just in the first couple of weeks because people like me yeah, downloaded the, the game. I was like, what is this? And I'm like, uh, all right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but there's still the hardcore contingent of uh, of a few fueling. Uh, so what's going, on, what's going on next for the pod? I'm thinking we're going to see if we can get a couple of guests on. I don't yeah, want to throw any names out because if we can't get them on, I'm going to be sad. But I know. I know. Some somewhat well-known people that are quite the personalities in the poker community. So I'm pretty pumped for that. So so we can confirm that you have uh, your best buddy, uh, Chris Ferguson, is going to come on. <laughs> that, that's oh, not not him. Okay, no no names listed. No, I, yeah, I don't think we can confirm certain names, but we've got um, a couple of people that uh, are in the like online streamer community, maybe even some cash game pros. Um, but we, you know, the one thing that's really been lacking and I think part of it's been on, on you and I, we need to do a better job of, of talking to our networks is just 
better interaction. I mean, we've got a couple hundred plays. Um, so we know there are people listening, which is good, besides you and I. Um, what do you mean? I've played to, it 200 times, bro. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's possible. Uh, but we have to have a better – and we want to promote that uh, interaction. So I think next podcast, providing we can assemble enough questions and enough interaction – uh, we're going to probably have half the podcast be a mailbag that we keep talking about and plugging. Um, just answer some questions about really about pertaining to anything it can be strategy based, can be, you know, vague general, um, conceptual basis or, or whatever people want to talk about. We're happy to, to give our, our verbal spew to, and just kind of <laughs> get into, um, and then I think down the road, yeah, we will definitely introduce some guests, um, details forthcoming. Um, anything else you see that, that you want to cover? No, dude, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. I want, I want people to write in though. Let's get some emails. I want to answer some of your questions. I want to hear what you guys think about the pod. So my faithful peeps on Twitch, you got to come through for me. Yeah, Do most we- definitely. And it's been awesome to see because your Twitch is is growing because you you keep it light, you keep it entertaining, you keep the F word under five to ten, depending on how how bad the beats are for the day. Yeah, uh, Operation No F Words is in effect. And, <laughs> and you know, and it, I, I would, you know, selflessly throw this out there that you shipped a bracelet because I gave you a little little speech. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. Talked you down from the spew ledge. And then uh, I let you know probably about, what, two weeks ago when it coincided with you winning the cage on Wednesday and uh, starting to, like, final table every tournament you pretty much, in, you know, register for. I let you know that it would help your, your Twitch quite a bit and this podcast if you just started winning every tournament you played. <laughs> And, and, you know, you haven't come through with that yet, but you've at least started final tabling like one out of every three, I think, is your current ratio. Yeah, I really rely on you for my strategy intake of, hey, you should start winning. Hey, well, that. I mean, your wife agrees, right? She told you. <laughs> oh, my told- gosh. It's so funny. So like three or four times when I've gone to play, she's just, you know, I'll text her and I'll be like, oh, man, doing badly in this tournament or having a bad uh, session in a cash game. And she'll text back and she'll be like, well... Uh, honey, you should just try to win. You should just win their chips. Get their chips. Don't give yours away. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Thanks, love. <laughs> really appreciate that. <laughs> but then, like, every time I just go on a winning streak, it's great. Just go on a heater. She's yeah. a prophet. Perfect. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's kind of come to a close, and then we'll, uh, we'll work on developing and finding those guests, because I know that you and I have a, a short list of people that – we need to go out and get their permission to float their name and confirm them as guests. But we're really excited about a couple of them yeah. um, that I think will be really easy to get on and, and chat with us. And then we'll bring the mailbag around. We'll uh, make sure that we check our, our email, our social media, and we get our, our community and our friends and followers to to give us some interaction. So, Yes, sir. Uh, Top2podcast at gmail.com. Send in yeah. your thoughts. And if they want to watch you and your silly antics on a Sunday, Monday, whenever day, um, go ahead and give your yeah, hit me Twitch, Twitch info. Twitch.tv slash Chase Bianchi. If you can't spell it, well, B-I-A-N-C-H-I. 
B-I-A-N-C-H-I, as my mom taught me. Perfect. And are you – I know you're headed to Colorado next week for uh, – that's where you grew up largely. Yep. Going to play so you're gonna live be there tournaments as well. For a couple weeks, so you'll go, keep us updated with that a little bit. Um, when are you going to be streaming again? Are you going to be streaming while in Colorado a bit or what's going to go on with nah, that? Nah, I mean my stream setup is pretty much uh, set, set location at home. So when I'm in Colorado, I'm going to play some live tournaments and then just going to visit fam and then I'll be back back on the stream grind when I get back on the 20th, I believe. Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to it. Yeah, buddy. If anyone wants to see you, go to the Commerce Casino. <laughs> Ask for yeah. We, we have a we have a little tournament series going on and a football promotion and a bunch of other stuff. So it's been a been a busy time. But if anyone wants to come visit, I'm happy to buy you a meal. Just mention the podcast and uh, steer you in the direction of a good game. We pretty much spread it all. So. Nice. Right on, bro. Well, let's wrap it. That's wrap. All right. This is uh, Andrew and Chase. Signing out. Later. Bye-bye.